Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this 50-year-old show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. I'm your host, and I just want you to stay out of my room. Is that too much to ask? Mm-hmm. My co-host is Guy, a man who, if he ever crash lands somewhere with a good supply of video games and booze, I'm guessing probably wouldn't want to be rescued. Hello, Guy. That's a good guess. Hello, Ron. <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, if I was stuck on an island somewhere with my entire Steam backlog, it would probably take me about two <laughs> lifetimes to get through it. <laughs> ah, so have you had any good ideas for a Halloween costume lately? Oh, I come up with good Halloween costume ideas all the time. <laughs> and none of them is going to be Coquillian. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> okay, some context for this story uh, called The Rescue. With Susan having exited at the end of the Dalek invasion of Earth and Guy cruelly not uh, being too broken up about all that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we won't uh, rehash the past. <laughs> I, I actually was uh, sorry to see Susan go. It's just the, uh, you know, the, the the episode itself didn't really have a deep emotional effect on me. But, uh, yeah. but I'm definitely not happy that Susan's not around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can uh, try to recover. That's okay. Uh <laughs> So, of course, they immediately wanted a replacement who they decided needed to be a teen, and they decided the teen should have dark hair. In other words, it should be Susan Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I really appreciate watching the background material on this is that even though it was her first real job out of acting school, Maureen O'Dowd, who played Vicky, who's going to be Susan's replacement, and it was no secret going in, everybody knew that this was the story to give a replacement, she mm -hmm. told Sidney Newman, the creator of the show, to stuff it, <laughs> that they could rehire mm -hmm. Carol Ann Ford if they wanted a copy of her. She wasn't going to dye her hair until she left the show. <laughs> uh -huh. And that's really brave for a young actor joining a very popular show. Oh, yeah. sure. If we're lucky, perhaps it means she won't have to suffer the indignities that Susan was stuck with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think she does a whole lot of screaming in these episodes. Yeah. So. Actually, it's uh, one of the things I've noticed. We'll talk about as we go through. It's really a scream-free episode, even though there's um, opportunities for it. Hmm. So they threw this story together to introduce a new character, and that's why there's only two episodes. <laughs> They're just like, okay, we need to do something. Hmm. And did that hurt or help the story? You know, should they have had more running around in hallways? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> so on to our first episode, the powerful enemy. <laughs> Sorry, mm -hmm. on to our first episode, the powerful enemy. Well, we start off uh, seeing the broken wreckage of a spacecraft. It's uh, it's long and tubular. It looks kind of like the uh, the long shaft of a rocket, um, but it's lying on its side, uh, and it's seen better days. Uh, there's a radar dish on the roof. It's rotating and beeping, so there's something going on here. 
What do you think of this model, by the way? It was good. I mean, you could tell it was a model, but it was it wasn't bad. I mean, it was well done. Yeah. So I, I got no complaints. Uh, we see the inside of this spaceship, and uh, it looks pretty clean, well maintained. Um, and we see a, an open door. I guess it would be a hatchway, but it's door shaped. Uh, and a woman who turns out to be named Vicky. She enters through this open door into the ship and she calls out Bennett. Uh, Bennett turns out to be uh, a guy who's lying in another room of the ship. Um, he's, uh, he's indisposed. He's not up and about. Um, she tells him that a rescue ship has landed, uh, but he doesn't buy it. They are expecting a rescue ship, but it's not due for three days yet. Uh, Bennett points out to her that the rescuers can't find the ship without being guided down, and neither one of them has been doing guidance, so it can't be here. So Vicky's going to go radio the rescuers <clears throat> and check with them. Uh, Bennett reminds her, watch out for Coquillion, <laughs> or Coquillion, I guess they pronounce it, uh, and, uh, and don't let him know about the rescue ship. Bennett says, if he finds out, he'll kill both of us. <laughs> So Vicky goes out and radios the rescue ship, and they, they receive her. They say, receiving you on strength, too. And I wanted to insert a fun fact here, uh, because uh, a few podcasts ago, I mentioned that 5x5 five five line from Aliens. Uh, and this this actually is the origin of 5x5. Five five. Uh, it's an indicator of the strength and the clarity of a radio message. So if you're uh, receiving five by five, that means the radio message has ideal strength and clarity. Uh, mm. So this rescue ship receiving you on strength two, uh, that's something radio operators actually do, or at least did. I don't know if it's still current. So it's but. funny. So I knew about five by five in part because there was a podcast network called five by five, and that's how I learned about that. I'd never heard uh. of the strength two thing, and I hadn't noticed it when I watched this before. So good catch there. Yeah. So... In the ensuing conversation, Vicky is shocked and dismayed to discover that the rescue ship is still 69 hours away. Uh, and at the end of the call, um, Vicky asks herself, who's landed on the mountain? <laughs> and my, uh, my mental reply to that is, who indeed? Hmm? <laughs> Yes, the doctor is the next thing we see. He's in the TARDIS, and he's uh, taking a little nap. He's sitting in a little uh, little chair near the console, and he's snoozing away, nice and comfortable. <clears throat> we see the, that big clear cylinder in the center of the TARDIS console. It, uh, it partially retracts, and it looks like it's shut down. It's not doing much. Uh, Barbara tells Ian that she had noticed that the ship's customary trembling during travel had stopped. It's not, uh, it's not vibrating now. It feels like it's come to a standstill. Ian says, uh, the doctor's never slept through a landing before. And, uh, I was thinking that maybe, uh, maybe in the edge of destruction, they had been unconscious, but I'm not sure if that was during an actual, I don't think that would count. So I guess I'm going to give Ian the benefit of the doubt on this one. Uh, they wake up the doctor, and everyone is jovial, and uh, they have a fun little, you know, they're sort of joking around with each other. It's a fun little conversation. 
the doctor says he feels a bit sticky and he plans to go wash up. <laughs> and Barbara says, oh, but doctor, the trembling stopped. <laughs> the doctor says, oh, my dear, I'm so glad you're feeling better. <laughs> he uh, he misconstrued her uh, statement there. There's something here also. First of all, I'll say through these two episodes, you know, Hartnell is in fine form, right? He doesn't mess up any of his lines. He's really mm -hmm. on top of it. And also in terms of the script here, they've just got more humor and kind of little things going on like this, uh, little jokes like this. And uh, you Yeah. Know. Yeah, the doctor is really... Uh, considerably warmer than he was at the beginning of the first season. <clears throat> he is really, uh, the character has really evolved uh, in his approach to life in general. And, and I think part of the thinking there, either on Hartnell's part or, you know, the production's part, is that this being the story that's introducing their new companion who's replacing Susan, I think he wants to be um, very uh, approachable. And he, you know, he wants to have a good relationship with the new companion. And everything. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where he's coming from. Sure, that makes sense. Um, the doctor checks the readouts of the air and temperature and all that. And he says, wherever we are, I think it's nice and fine. <laughs> uh, the monitors uh, are showing darkness. Uh, so they may be in a cave. And this concerns Barbara, but the doctor points out the TARDIS can travel through matter and they can take off at any time. So he's not particularly concerned. Uh, he says they should all step outside and have a look. Uh, and he calls for Susan mm. to open the doors, and then he stops and pauses, uh, and he remembers that she's not here anymore. Uh, Barbara says, Doctor, why don't you show me how to open the doors? Uh, she says it sympathetically. She knows what's going through his head. Mm. Um <clears throat> Outside the TARDIS, it turns out it is a cave that they're in. And Barbara says, strange, funny smell. Doesn't smell like anything on Earth. <laughs> so now we know that Barbara has smelled everything on Earth. <laughs> An interesting fact about her. Uh, the doctor, he recognizes the smell, but uh, but he doesn't name it. Instead, he says he's going to have a nap, <laughs> which is what he was doing five minutes ago. Also, you know, yeah, it makes no sense, but it makes me feel like he's making a joke. Um, like, because actually there was a moment there where Barbara and Ian were talking about the doctor's getting older and, you know, he's never had to have a nap before, et cetera. And he, mm. he tells them, you know, I can hear you. So I feel like here he's having a little joke on them. Like, yeah, I'm going to go uh, back and have another nap. Giving him a <laughs> little, little poke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it could be. It and that's, a, that's a, again, a little unusual banter. You know, it's a nice mm -hmm. deal here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so after the doctor goes back in, Barbara and Ian discuss a little more about the doctor and Susan. Um, uh, and they're, you know, they, they realize the doctor, well, he's spent probably her whole life, uh, you know, with her and, or at least, uh, in contact with her. And in the last years, at least they've been traveling together. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a big thing for him not to have her around. Um, finally they go off exploring in the cave. Uh, and as soon as they leave the TARDIS, uh, this alien, comes up to investigate it uh, as soon as they don't can't see him around. Uh, and he's an interesting combination of insectoid and reptilian. Uh, the head has antennae and mandibles. It has eyes on stalks, and uh, it's a lot of spikes around the shoulders and on the head. 
Um, the hands are lizard claws. There's the reptilian aspect, and it's it's a it's a decent costume. Oh no, I mean I'm not. Uh, it's the the eye stalks are a little goofy, maybe, but uh, you know, it's, I gotta it's say, a especially bag. for early Doctor Who, I I think it's pretty impressive. Um, and, yeah, you know, uh, and it it was based on a close up photo of a fly, <laughs> which uh-huh. and it's pretty effective for that if you think about it. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, well they are they are ugly ugly critters when you see them close up. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> so this creature just sort of pokes around the TARDIS uh, around the outside of it. And then we see Barbara and Ian standing on a ledge. Uh, from this ledge, uh, they're outside. It's it's just right outside the cave. Um, from this ledge, they see the wrecked spaceship. Uh, it's not terribly far away. Um, and there's a flag painted on it. It's from home, which probably is the United Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> so Barbara and Ian discuss whether or not to investigate it, but they're interrupted by the arrival of this spiky alien. And uh, he's carrying, it looks like a large pipe wrench, um, but it's one piece of solid material with no visible moving parts. Um, but it looks very much like a large pipe wrench, uh, actually, you know, it's got the C-shaped top on it and then just a long handle coming down from it. <clears throat> it turns out the alien talks, although its mouth doesn't move. Um, it asks them where their rocket ship is. Uh, and they explain to him that they don't have a rocket ship. Uh, and the alien says, you landed here in that box? <laughs> And Ian lets slip as soon as he as soon as he says it. Uh, Barbara kind of nudges him, but it's too late. Uh, Ian says there's one more crew member back in the ship. The alien said he'd like to meet the other one, and he'll take them all to the city. Uh, so Ian goes on ahead back to the TARDIS. Barbara hesitates momentarily. The alien says, "I am your friend. You can trust me." And to prove it, he pushes Barbara off the ledge. <laughs> no. <coughs> In the moment, I felt this is more ambiguous. Like, she's scared of him, and she's backing up, and he's kind of saying, no, you don't have anything to worry about, and stepping towards her, and then she goes off the ledge. And I I think, you know, in a court of law at this moment, <laughs> it'd be a little hard <laughs> to know whether he pushed her off or, or encouraged her off or whether it was an accident. I think um, as the story goes on, we will come to a conclusion about that. <laughs> but at this point, uh, I, I'd say, you know, uh, yeah. innocent until proven guilty <laughs> yeah there is there is some ambiguity in it yeah that's true so we see the doctor in the TARDIS uh, he's talking to himself he's managed to identify this planet as Dido and he's been here before um, and he had a good time he's looking forward he tells himself to uh, meeting the friendly people here again after all these years uh he wonders whether he should pretend that he came here on purpose all along, you know, just to put one over on Ian and Barbara. Uh, but he chuckles when he remembers that he was uh, asleep when the TARDIS landed, so that yeah. that pretty much, uh, he can't use that strategy. Again, but, it's a little unusual. We've never seen him, like, admit to coming up with a fabrication. I mean, he has lied before, uh, <laughs> but, you know, having an actual conversation with himself about it is kind of funny. Uh, yep. Yeah. And again, we see the uh, the sort of warmer doctor here. He uh, he just when he when he realizes he can't put that over, he just he just chuckles and you know writes it off. 
meanwhile, the alien uh, uses his magic pipe wrench to send out some kind of energy pulse, and that collapses the cave entrance. There's a big rock fall, and, uh, and the TARDIS is blocked inside the cave in the darkness. Uh, the noise brings the doctor out of the ship to investigate, and then we get a quick, quick view of Barbara lying unconscious outside the cave, uh, on the ground below the ledge. There's a, they don't remark on this, but, uh, which I appreciate, but she's holding on to this branch that presumably blocked her fall and then got pulled off the cliff. So, you know, there's a little explanation about how she survived, but they don't actually say anything about it, which I suspect is part of this being a two episode, you know, we don't have any time. Yeah. So it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we gotta keep things moving, which, uh, which I, I do enjoy very much about these two episodes. <laughs> they don't, uh, there isn't a whole lot of filler in it. Yeah. You know, we uh, could have had, I mean, if you go back to that Daleks, you know, in the caves thing, we could have had two minutes of her hanging onto this branch and Ian yelling at her. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the, the doctor and Ian go exploring, uh, in the cave, uh, Ian, describes the alien and the doctor says with hands and feet like claws uh and he he goes on to say that uh that he knows the people of uh of dido and they're very friendly people he says um so so he's uh doctor's feeling good about all this uh ian suddenly remembers that he heard a scream right before the cave-in uh it's an odd thing to forget, but then again, he was in a cave-in, so, you know, <laughs> kind of a distraction there. He says, that scream, Barbara. Uh, and Ian describes the weapon that the alien was holding. He says it was a, a jeweled club. Uh, the doctor says, with a big head resembling a spanner, and <laughs> spanner, uh, for those who don't know, is British for wrench. Uh, so it really does look like a pipe wrench. Um, they, uh, the, the doctor says that the people of Dido had, the last time he was visiting, they had just per perfected this thing. It's a ray used in construction work, he says, <laughs> um, or destruction work, apparently. Yeah. Uh, the doctor gives Ian a quick medical exam, uh, just a brief looking over. It's not even really an exam, you know, it's just kind of quick. Uh, but Ian compliments him tongue-in-cheek uh, for his thoroughness. The doctor says, yes, it's a pity I didn't get that degree, isn't it? <laughs> so now we know that the self-titled doctor is actually uncredentialed. <laughs> but credentials don't always necessarily mean a lot anyway, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> Ian asks the doctor if he's sure these people are friendly, and the doctor assures him they are. Ian says, if that's a sample, I'll take the Daleks anytime. <laughs> I'm not sure if I agree with his assessment here. I mean, if we recall <laughs> literally, you know, a couple of hours ago for them, the Daleks had taken over Earth and were committing genocide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I, it occurred to me too, I was just thinking about this. I don't think we mentioned this on the podcasts before, but it, I don't think it occurred to me before, but. Inside one of those Dalek outfits, it's got to smell terrible. I mean, not for the <laughs> actors, but like with an actual Dalek in it, it, mm -hmm. would, it, it would probably just... Reach. Well, I'm not sure about with the actors, too, because uh, uh, 
I forget now if we talked about it in that episode, but uh, when they were outside, when they were going through Trafalgar Square and everything, um, occasionally when they had to uh, uh, do the call of nature, they'd find some great somewhere and oh, <laughs> go nice. over it and urinate. So, you know, <laughs> it may not have been the best smell inside there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I don't think we did mention that before. It's interesting. <laughs> So the doctor wonders, uh, what could have happened to change these, the people of Dido, uh, change their very friendly, peaceful nature. Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is one of those science fiction tropes, you know, Star Trek is the worst, right? Where all of a planet is represented by five people in one, <laughs> one square with a little waterfall in the middle. And here it's like, you know, even though we find out, uh, I don't know if they've already said it, there are only around a hundred of the natives left when the doctor was last year, but even among a right. hundred people, it's not like they're all exactly the same. You know? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> although, although at, at the very least, uh, you know, in some cultures you will find general trends, Yeah. but, uh, but still, yeah, that seeing that they're all, all friendly and peaceful might be an overstatement. Who knows? <laughs> so the alien enters the wrecked spaceship where Vicky's sitting at the table. Uh, the alien tells her, uh, Coquillion, he tells her, in the future, she's to go no further than 50 yards from the ship. Uh, she says she was out rock collecting. She's got a big handful of nice little shiny rocks. Um, the alien slaps him from her hands. And, uh, he says there's he's going here... into Bennett's room to talk to him. There's a dynamic mm -hmm. here where... This alien is, is, I mean, they're kind of slaves of this alien, right? I mean, they, you know, you yeah, can't walk he's, more than 50 he's yards very, uh, very officious. He, uh, he's, he's the guy in charge, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he says he's going into Bennett's room to talk to him. And, and Vicky says that she had heard a sound, which, um, which was, uh, the cave in. And, uh, although she doesn't know that. And, uh, Coquillion says, a warlike people, they wanted to pillage the ship. I could not save them from my people as I do Bennett and yourself. <laughs> uh, so this, uh, at least as he represents it, he is the protector of these two humans against mm -hmm. his more vicious, uh, brethren. So the alien, uh, pushes on the door to Bennett's room. It doesn't open and... We hear the voice from inside saying, you can't come in. <laughs> and uh, the alien replies, it is Coquillion. Open the door. And then he gets in. Uh, and this is, a, this is, even though it's a minor, seemingly a minor scene, it's, it's worth keeping in mind uh, for later. Uh, but I won't reveal more than that now. <laughs> um, Back in the main room, Vicky moves a pile of blankets and reveals that Barbara has been hiding under them. So that's really why she was out walking around and went more than 50 yards from the ship. Uh, Vicky explains what happened after the ship crashed. Uh, the ship crew was invited by the aliens uh, to a meeting. Vicky had to stay back because she was feeling ill. Um... She woke up, and she thought the noise she had heard was a thunderstorm, but it was an explosion. And the explosion killed all the humans who had gone to it, except for Bennett. He was the only survivor, and he dragged himself back. He he can't walk, um, but he managed to get back to the ship. 
Um, her father was among those killed in the explosion, so she's especially upset about that. Um, and she says to Barbara, they killed all your crew, too. Uh, Barbara looks thoughtful, but not especially upset. Um, <laughs> she might just be putting on a poker face, or she might be figuring, well, it's the doctor. He probably got away somehow. Mm. Back in the cave, the doctor and Ian have a great big flashlight. Uh, it's, it's, I guess, more of a lantern, maybe, but it's, it's, it almost looks like a gas can with a light sticking out of it. But uh, they're making their way along a ledge. And the doctor uh, says more about how puzzled he is. Uh, he says there were only a hundred people here, and they loved peace and friendship and happiness. Um, so he's, he's not sure what's going on. Back in the wreck, Vicky tends to Barbara's wounds. Uh, the, she knows, Vicky knows, that there are other aliens around. At least that's what Coquillian has told her. Uh, but he's the only one they ever see. The others are somewhere else. Um, and then she does something pretty, I thought was pretty amusing. Uh, she shows Barbara the ship's flare gun, uh, which is a good thing she should know about. But uh, she shows it off by pointing it directly at Barbara's <laughs> face for about 10 or 15 seconds. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very poor firearm handling. So. <laughs> but, uh, but it doesn't go off, so all's well that ends well, I guess. Then there's a noise, uh, and Barbara hides under the blankets again. There's an impressive little thing here. Multiple times in a couple of minutes, Barbara has to go in and out of those blankets, and she manages to be under them in about two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She, she doesn't dilly-dally. <laughs> so uh, it, the noise turns out not to be Coquillian, but, uh, but Bennett, uh, who staggers to the doorway, and he props himself up against the door of the frame uh, so he can keep standing kind of hunched over. Um, Bennett says, he's gone. He tried to get things out of me, but I didn't tell him. Uh, so fa the fact that Coquillian is gone tells us there's another exit to Bennett's room, and that's going to mm. be a plot point later, too. Um, uh, and Bennett says that he's killed the new visitors, uh, who, who appeared up on the mountain. And, uh, Vicky says, no, he hasn't, Bennett. Not all of them, anyway. And she reveals Barbara under the blankets. Mm -hmm. Back in the cave, the ledge is narrowing out, as the doctor puts it. Uh, and in the chasm below, underneath them, there's a scary creature. Uh, and this, it's kind of, it's scary, but it's also kind of cute. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it looks like an alligator with an insectile face and no rear legs. It's just got two front legs that it drags itself along. Yeah, and uh, if you look at it, <laughs> it's really clearly a human in a suit pushing himself up on his arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> but it is, a, it is still a, it's a neat little suit. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Ian looks for handholds on the, the ledge that they're on or you know, on the wall above the ledge that they're on. Yeah, and I'm and having flashbacks to that original Dalek story. This was not written by Terry Nation, but mm. there's an awful lot of ledges and going along ledges and everything, which is a very Terry Nation thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So he's looking for handholds, and he finds what looks like a large door knocker, just a big, big metal ring hanging in the wall. And there are, there are multiple rings. There are about three of them in a row. Uh, Ian grabs the first two without incident, but then the third one, when he gets to it and grabs it, it comes loose, and it just hangs from a bunch of wires. Uh, the doctor says it's covered with oil, which somehow tells him that it's a trap of some kind. I'm not sure exactly the leap of logic he made there, but <laughs> but the oil means it's a trap. And uh, sure enough, Ian, who has moved on a little bit ahead, uh, two rows of swords come out of the wall to trap him. Um, there's there's one, they're, they're like verti- vertical columns of swords poking out of the wall. It's a... Uh, um, so one's on ahead of him and one comes out behind him, but the effect is they act like prison bars, <laughs> you know, sticking horizontally out of the wall. Um, but then between these two swords where Ian is standing, more swords come out of the wall. They push out kind of slowly, but they're, uh, uh, they're constant. And, uh, they're they're coming out of the wall slowly, and it looks like the way they're set up that Ian could probably squeeze between them, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't really want to overanalyze that too much. Yeah. Um, the swords are coming out of the wall, and they're trying to push Ian down into the chasm with the alligator thing, uh, and the episode ends on this another literal cliffhanger. <laughs> And next up is Desperate Measures. Mm -hmm. Give me a moment here. Okay. What did I just do? That's more like it. Okay. Hey, so so we start our next episodes (laughs) as the blades are coming out. I don't recall if this occurred in the previous uh, uh, one and they're repeating it, but (laughs) Ian grabs one of them in a full grip. And then he says to the Mm. doctor, doctor, they're razor sharp. (laughs) Which means he would have just like sliced off his fingers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, he might've just grabbed it at a lucky angle, but but yeah, I don't think he said that in the previous episode. I think this is a new revelation, but it does. (laughs) It does help to explain why he couldn't just climb over him anyway. 
<laughs> yeah, nonetheless, anyone, nonetheless, anyhow, the ones that were kind of pushing him out, um, now he's just sort of able to walk around them and get back to the doctor. So it's one of well, those. Well, yeah. yeah, the the doctor. Well, the blades the blades stop like right near the edge of the ledge. So so the the doctor has him throw his coat over one of the blades yeah. so he can get a grip on it without cutting himself. So it, yeah, it's it's fair. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Back at the spaceship, Vicky and Barbara are attending to Bennett, who apparently collapsed on seeing Barbara. And Bennett says Coquillian killed her friends, and she once again brushes it off. I'm sure they're all right. So she has a, a lot of confidence in the doctor by this point, which, you know, I suppose is somewhat deserved. Yeah, they have survived a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Bennett says Coquillian doesn't make mistakes. And Barbara says, well, he did about me. Maybe the next time he visits, we can surprise him. And Vicky really <laughs> likes this idea. Benedict Jackson says they should wait for the rescue ship to arrive, and until then, they should do whatever Cocoon says. And Bennett tells us, just because I lie on that bed all day doesn't mean I've lost the use of my brain. And he insists that Barbara agree with him. They help him back to his room, but when they get to the actual door of his room, he gets very snippy. And when Barbara tries to enter with him, he keeps her out and slams the door in her face. So this yeah. room seems to be an interesting <clears throat> space. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe <clears throat> I think maybe this is where I started to have certain suspicions about uh, <laughs> how the plot was going to work out. Yeah. So, but I'll I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> so Vicky says she's going out for water. She asks Barbara to set the table, and there's a little window, you know, in the side of the spaceship, and Vicky doesn't notice that there's a monster in a cave watching her. Meanwhile, Barbara is kind of searching around. In the spaceship, and she finds that flare gun they talked about. And this, this is, this isn't a new monster. This is that alligator monster yeah. that was underneath the doctor. Yeah, good point. So Barbara has found the flare gun that Vicky had showed to her, and then she's looking out the window. She sees that monster near Vicky, and she heroically gets the flare gun, runs out, and ignoring Vicky's pleas, telling her to stop, she shoots the monster. <laughs> and this monster gets one of the classic death scenes. <laughs> you know, it spends about two minutes dying, writhing in horror and shrieking, kind of, you know, in an yeah, upsetting manner. It's, it's, it's not what you would consider a good death if it happened to you. And, uh, and the noise is, it's both creepy and funny at the same time. I mean, it's... You know, uh, I had, I was ambivalent about it until yeah. about 30 seconds later when we got some new information about the monster, <laughs> then, uh, then I just felt bad, but go on. Yeah. So Vicky <laughs> is angry at Barbara and tells Barbara she killed Sandy, <laughs> who mm -hmm. only ever ate plants and was just here for food. And she breaks down in <laughs> tears. Um, and Barbara's, you know, like, well, how was I supposed to know? And I think this is, first of all, I really like this in the story and we'll talk about it later also, like. You know, the TARDIS crew shows up and they expect everyone to treat them like heroes and they're here to save everyone. And Barbara just acts on instinct and kills her pet, you know. And um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it uh, it may as well have been a, a puppy, you know. I mean. Yeah. And Vicky <laughs> but she is, didn't know that. Vicky is legitimately angry at her and, and holds that grudge mm -hmm. for a while, which I think is interesting. But And then from Barbara's point of view, I mean, again, remember, she just came from the Daleks taking over Earth and she was killing Daleks and, you know, taking control of all these situations. So she's sort of primed to act quickly and actually to not be the screaming 
woman, right? You know, um, right. Uh, wait, waiting for a man to to save her. So oh, these sure. two things sort of come together here in a little tragic situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was definitely uh, uh, an interesting twist. I uh, uh, it was it was a worthwhile addition, even though it is uh, it is pretty sad because that would make a cool pet if it was friendly. <laughs> Uh, so, Dr. Nian, having gotten the swords to go back into place, uh, they played around with that little handle and figured it out. They show up and join Vicky and Barbara. And meanwhile, we just had this shot of Coquillion sneaking around somewhere, so we know he's out there. And mm-hmm. in the ship, uh, the TARDIS crew is trying to cheer up Vicky. And Ian, who's in a remarkably good mood, is making jokes. And he, he whimsically, he's holding the flare gun. And he says, don't worry, if old cocky licking comes around here, I'll get him with this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was probably a uh, more innocent phrase <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah. So... Unfortunately, their attempts at humor from these people she's met 30 seconds ago are only making Vicky more upset. And she's yelling at them. They're going to spoil everything right before the rescue ship arrives. They don't understand how things work. They try to convince her that being the TARDIS crew, they, of course, know what's best. And she counters, I think, pretty reasonably that she's the one who's been here a long time and she knows how things work. And nobody asked you to come here. Nobody. So this, again, is that unusual situation of somebody uh, uh, not being, you know, totally happy that the TARDIS crew showed up to save them. Yeah. She tells him to go away. And the doctor waves Barbara and Ian to leave. And he then has a guan... He then has a grandfatherly and very kindly talk with her. And she says, Bennett says, when they get back, Earth should wipe this place out. And I'll point this out a couple times here. The nonviolent doctor agrees. <laughs> he's, he's given us speeches previously, I think, in the very last story about how he never resorts to violence. Yeah. He agrees it should be wiped out, at least when it comes to Coquillion. <laughs> Although he did say, last time he brought it up, he did say it was... Um... Unless it was to defend his own skin, and uh, Coquillion did try to kill him, so yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll see a bit more of that later. Um, <laughs> Doctor says he wants to hear out Bennett, who he's never met yet, and Vicky takes him to Bennett's room, and the Doctor sends Vicky back to Ian and Barbara, and here again, you know, she's holding that grudge. Vicky says, kind of unpleasantly, Barbara, she killed Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> And the doctor implores her to understand Barbara's point of view and that Barbara was just trying to protect her. And she finally leaves. And the doctor goes to Bennett's door and he hears uh, what we've heard before. You can't come in. (laughs) And uh, as a guest, he's uh, a little bit rude here. (laughs) He just starts forcing the door open. He finds like a a nearby um, uh, bar to force the door open. And... (laughs) This reminded me of a thing with my dad. I don't think I've talked about this before, but um, when I was a kid and my dad and I uh, were went to my grandparents' house and we hadn't told them we were coming and we were we lived in another state and they weren't there. So my dad found a window in the back that was open and had me crawl through it and open the door for him. And then we went into the fridge and, and ate their ice cream. And so they come home and we're sitting there eating ice cream. And I always wondered how they felt about that. Cause I know how I would feel about it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Vicky, Ian and Barbara are together. Vicky apologizes to Barbara. They talk. 
Turns out Vicky left Earth in 2493. <laughs> and we always have these convenient years, right? So when Barbara says that they are from 1963, she says, 19, Vicky says 1963, but that means you're about 550 years old. <laughs> and Barbara does not take this well, which Ian finds funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Vicky says they didn't have time machines in 1963. They didn't know anything then. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty common way for people from a given time to think about right. people in the past. Um, I was wondering, do you recall what year it was supposed to be uh, in the sensorites? Oh, it's, it was 21 something or something, uh, you know. Oh, okay. So this would be way past then. Huh. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, so we keep moving, you know, meeting people from different periods here. I guess they still have an identifiable flag in the spaceship. Though. <laughs> That's good. The doctor finds Bennett's room is empty and when he breaks in. And he then rummages around in the cabinets and he finds a tape recorder. <laughs> Again, he just has no problem going into someone else's space. <laughs> you know? uh, and he plays the one of the tapes and it says, guess what? You can't come in. <laughs> <laughs> and he also finds that Bennett has the ship wired for sound so he can hear the conversation like that Vicky and Barbara and company are having. And then he finds a trap door. And he's very quickly putting all this together. Yeah. When he and, and company come into Bennett's room, they find it empty. They don't notice the little trap door that's not quite closed. Turns out the doctor went through the mm -hmm. trapdoor and he's walking along in a cave. And he walks into a cavern with ceremonial columns and an altar of some kind. And this is, a, I thought, a pretty impressive set piece because it's all black. So it's mm -hmm. not, but the lighting and the smoke and, you know, the way that they shot it, you actually do get sense of a large room um, that does have some kind of ceremonial significance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And he opens a big chest and finds a costume in it. And then, and this also is shot really interestingly and, and unusually for Doctor Who. Behind him, you know, far behind him, a door opens. And in a very knowing way, without turning his head, so we, the camera is looking at the Doctor and then there's this door way behind him and someone coming through it. And without turning his head, the doctor says, come in, won't you? I've been waiting to talk with you. <laughs> so he's very in control of this situation. Yeah, and in fact, I noticed um, there are many points in this scene where uh, the doctor deliberately keeps his back turned. Uh, and that is not something I think I would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's simultaneously, I mean, a dangerous thing to do, but it's also a way of saying that you're not afraid, right? Um, yeah. But being, not being afraid, that's small consolation if you get a knife in here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So Coquillion enters through the door, and the doctor says to him, this used to be the people's hall of judgment, fitting in the... <clears throat> this used to be the people's hall of judgment, fitting in the present circumstances, don't you think? Mr. Bennett, need I remind you that masks and robes such as you are wearing are only used on absolutely ceremonial occasions. Hmm? <laughs> so he's also not yeah. scared of this costume. He realizes it's Bennett inside it. Right. And that was, uh, that was interesting uh, to me that in the first episode, uh, when the doctor had confirmed that he knew, you know, like he said, he asked Ian, uh, was it like, claws and hands and feet with claws or whatever it was. 
and he recognized from that, uh, it implied in that scene that this was what the inhabitants of Dido look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but he actually, it turns out now, was just referring, he, he had deduced then that it was a ceremonial costume. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. And it does also account for why Coquillion's uh, mouth never moves, because it actually is supposed to be a mask in the story. So that was kind of neat. A little clever touch there. <laughs> so Bennett removes the mask, and he proceeds to do a typical evil monologue. <laughs> actually, pretty more evil than usual. <laughs> um, it turns out, he had killed another crew member on the spaceship before it crashed, and then the ship crashed before they had radioed about his crime to Earth. And when they crashed, the natives invited them to a grand meeting. And so Bennett, you know, logically, I guess, decided he'd save his own skin by blowing everyone up. So he just brought <laughs> explosives to the meeting and killed everybody. And, you know, Vicky had been back on the ship. Um, and the doctor says, you destroyed a whole planet to save your own skin. You're insane. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I would normally think that, but, you know, I've been doing these deep dives into like interrogation videos of, you know, criminals and stuff on, on YouTube. And you have these cases where, you know, there's this guy who um, had this online for pay, you know, Russian girlfriend. And when he ran out of money to keep paying for their times together, because he believed that she was in love with him, he did the next natural next step. He killed his entire family so that he could steal Ooh. their money and, you know, keep having his online relationship. And once you see some of these things, like, well, yeah, I guess there are people like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Vicky didn't know what was going on. And Bennett has been dressing as Coquillian so that she could support his story when they get back to Earth about how the terrible natives killed everybody. And now he says, now there are only three more people to kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not too hard to imagine once he's done all that. <laughs> and uh, the nonviolent doctor violently attacks Bennett with the spanner, <laughs> which, uh, as they're struggling, goes off and triggers a cave-in. And now, and then the doctor goes after Bennett with a nonviolent sword. <laughs> so he's, <laughs> and he's, you know, quite active. And it appears to be Hardinal, not a stunt person. He really really tries to go after him and and you know bennett holds up a chair and the store the sword gets embedded in it and while they're fighting two mysterious mm-hmm. white clad humans appear now i this is i'm gonna say uh i think one of the only missteps in these stories which is on watching this multiple times until now i had taken these to be humans from the ship who had survived the explosion and i realize now what uh, the, no, these are actually aliens, and they just didn't... These are the Dido inhabitants. Yeah, and they just didn't make them look like aliens. And because we've been watching Coquillion all along, again, I was kind of associating Coquillion with the aliens. So I, I right. thought, you know, they should have done something makeup-wise or whatever to make them not seem totally human, but, you know, that, because it is confusing to me. Yeah. yeah anyway, sense. so these two guys appear, and Bennett is freaked out, and he says, no, I killed all of you. And he runs away from them and then falls over a cliff and screams. So he's done with. <laughs> and then we have this shot of the face of the aliens and that fades out. And next thing, Barbara and Ian wake up the doctor. He's on the TARDIS. Um, and he tells them that Bennett was Coquillian. 
he doesn't tell them about the aliens, at least at this point. <clears throat> Vicky is outside the TARDIS, so the doctor goes out to have a talk with her. And she learns that Bennett murdered her father, and she says she has no one. And the doctor invites her to join them. <laughs> and she says, in that old box? <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor leaves her for mm. a moment to think about it. I think before the doctor started talking to her, I think Ian and Barbara in the TARDIS were having a little discussion about how they'd like her to come mm-hmm. along. And um, and as soon as they started saying that, I, I didn't know what was coming. So that was like, all of a sudden I realized, oh, they're going to get their numbers back up to four passengers. <laughs> right. And uh, I was, yeah, we'll see. Uh, she doesn't seem like she's any Susan, but uh, <laughs> we'll, well see. And- you know, it's also fair. I mean, they had announced it like in England, like the day before the show came out or something. So people generally knew. But, you know, uh, they've had these conversations in the past, even with the guy who ended up being Susan's boyfriend in the last show. You know, she was trying to talk him and in coming into the TARDIS. And up till now, they've never gone through with it. But so, it, yeah. it, so it, you know, yeah, you don't necessarily have to think that she'd be joining the crew, right? Right. Um, so she comes into the TARDIS and goes through the mandatory, it's bigger on the inside (laughs) revelation, which will become, (laughs) you know, very, very common over time. (laughs) She agrees to join them. And meanwhile, the mysterious uh, aliens enter the crashed spaceship and we hear the rescue ship radioing. So clearly they're like ready to land and rescue everybody. And the aliens destroy the radio equipment. And then the TARDIS dematerializes. Oh, did you have something to say? Oh, no, no. I had just lost you for a minute there when you, after radio equipment, but just, just go on where you were and it's fine. Uh, then the TARDIS dematerializes and the doctor says he hopes in their new location, they can finally get a rest. (laughs) And we get a little hint about whether they're getting a rest or not because the TARDIS (laughs) materializes on a cliff face and kind of rocks back and forth for a while. Uh, with the people inside, you know, falling all over the place. And then it falls mm-hmm. off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. End of the I, episode. <laughs> that kind of surprised me. For some reason, I would have thought that the the interior would be independent of the, <laughs> the, what was happening on the outside. But I guess it's not. <laughs> uh, okay. So, end of story. Um, interestingly, this had really high mm-hmm. ratings. In fact, it more people watched this story than watched the Dalek story, the last mm. one. Um, and they never got to this ratings uh, height again until Tom Baker, who's kind of the most famous Doctor Who until at least, you know, the modern series. Um, so this is really a high point for them audience-wise. Hmm. I think people were probably really curious to see who the new companion would be. Yeah. So talking about the story, I mean, what do you think about this two-episode story? Did that work for you? Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it, it definitely... Kept moving. You know, there are a couple couple slow points, but all in all, they they kept a kept a good pace. And the, uh, uh, yeah, the revelation of uh, of Bennett being Coquillian was was kind of fun. I mean, I, uh, uh, I I should have figured it out earlier than I did, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but I never figure stuff like that out anyway. So that's uh, <laughs> it was yeah, it was fun. I. Uh, I thought the clues story. for it were good, right? It, drag it out more. I thought the mm-hmm. clues were good oh, yeah. in that they could have been they could have put more of a lantern on them, but they didn't. Like 
if as you're watching, it just feels like, oh, that's a little weird thing. Oh, that's a little weird thing. And then it is later. You're like, oh, it all fits together. Why, you know, why things were happening the way they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of the things that popped up uh, throughout it where I thought, oh, that's that's kind of a little, you know, they're being a little sloppy there, you know, and then later on it turns out there's, it actually fits in. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was good. <laughs> Pretty good episode. I thought for, for a short story, they had a surprising amount of stuff in there, especially watching it now. Like I say, you know, I mean, they intended it just to be an introduction to Vicky, but we also get what I think is this important point um, that's really interesting about how, as we said, the TARDIS crew shows up and expects to be treated as heroes and they're saving people. And they don't necessarily know what's going on. You know, they kill her pet. Um, they're, you know, they don't know the dynamics and what this Coquillian thing is all about. But from the very first moment, they're like, oh, we understand everything. You should just listen to us. <laughs> and, you know, I think it was interesting that this is a story where they kind of get slapped around for that assumption, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were there were a lot of interesting things. He had like uh, you know, the doctor's little pause when he calls for Susan and remembers yep. then that she isn't there. And you had the the little puppy getting shot. And then uh <laughs> you know, just yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting little neat things in this. Yeah, and character wise, you know, we were touched on the doctor is kinda of jaunty and he's working hard to establish a positive relationship with Vicky right up front here. Yeah, it's uh, I, I enjoyed. I mean, I, I enjoy Hartnell a lot. I think uh, I haven't seen the later seasons, uh, but but I think, uh, in my opinion, uh, the the successor Doctors are going to have uh, some big shoes to fill. I think <laughs> I really am fond of Hartnell. Yeah, I'll be really curious to see how you feel about that because, interestingly, for people who started later, like now, I also agree. Actually, I mean, I I think that Hartnell is my favorite doctor mm. but um for a lot of people who started watching with tom baker like i did um who was kind of a you know f funny jovial guy they're really thrown off when they go back and watch these stories and they see this doctor who can sometimes be very selfish and you mm -hmm. know and everything because they're used to a doctor who always shows up and wants to save the world and this is you know i mean he's sort of moved much more in that direction yeah over time but he certainly doesn't start there, right? And that that throws a lot of people off. They're like, I don't want a grumpy doctor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, as I said, I thought uh, really, it's what you know. What's that phrase? You know, the dog that doesn't bark, right? And um, mm -hmm. and to me, one of the things I really appreciate in this episode, you know, you have Barbara and you have Vicky, but nobody is screaming. And in fact, <laughs> you know. What does Barbara do, even though it turns out to be a mistake, when she sees a threat, she grabs a gun and she shoots. Um, yeah. You know, so that's very different than most of the stories we've seen so far. And I think I almost I have to wonder if after Carol Ann Ford leaving, if the writers, you know, or the producers are like, OK, maybe we should knock it off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of our new companion? Well, you've already said, I mean, she, you don't think she's a Susan yet, so... Yeah, yeah, you know, I was, overall, I was pretty underwhelmed by Vicky. <laughs> I mean, uh, she just, no, no, it, it's, she didn't click with me in these episodes, which isn't to say she never will, but mm. so, so far, I'm, I remain to be convinced. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
With all that, is it worth watching for a modern audience? Oh yeah, yeah, they were fun. I, uh, you know, if we're going by the the template of, are you going to force your friend to watch it because it's so good? Uh, probably not. But uh, but if it's just, you know, worth watching in a general sense, yeah, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed both the both the episodes and uh, yeah, like we've already said, there were. Uh, some interesting little aspects to it scattered throughout it that, uh, um, yeah, it was good. I liked it. Nice. Okay. Well, next up, we'll have what I hope will be a fun one. <laughs> it's the Romans. All right. That could be good. <laughs> yep. 